It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is some dummy here. We got some dummy over there. Uh, <laughs> you big dummy. Andrew's a dummy today. Uh, that dummy is, one, dummy two. That is how I invited you to this podcast, this specific episode. Yeah, only a few people in the in the world will I even respond to a message that begins with, hey, dummy. <laughs> Yeah, but you asked for this episode. You knew it was coming. Which I you yeah, you I seem to ask for ones that like traumatize you personally. You, I, I feel like you're one of those like you know not down with dolls and dummies and mannequins, as we learned from the absolutely episodes. not. I absolutely am not. Yeah, this is this is this one hits a nerve without question. Um. Yeah. So so why 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 do you want to choose the nerve wracking ones? For, uh, to talk about is it <laughs> well. They tend to be the ones that um, I think are sort of uh, invented a lot of the tropes that continue to this day in movies. You know, like when we're talking about the dummy tonight, which is a sort of a ventriloquist dummy, but you also get um, movies like uh, Magic with Anthony Hopkins. You also get stuff like um, uh, the Goosebumps with Slappy. You also get um, movies like Dead Silence. So there's like a whole lineage there. Different doll, but as we pointed out before recording, you got your uh, your Chucky shirt. So you don't, oh, you, yeah. don't put, you don't put your hand up Chucky's arse, though. <laughs> no, and you know what's funny is I just wear this because it's cold out. And it was nothing special for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're both very striped shirts today, so it looks like. Yeah, it looks like Sesame Street today if you're watching the video. Um, Absolutely, yes. People that consider themselves more Muppets than men, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we can control the horizontal, but not necessarily the vertical. Right, right. Um, although you should, <laughs> I guess we should mention that this is establishing the trope for the Twilight Zone. I mean, I guess you could say the after hours kind of win here, but we definitely mm. have more of this with you know Talkie Tina and uh, the the other. The other dummy episode with the exact same dummy as I'll mention the trivia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please don't leave that important part out because uh, people sometimes will say, oh, you know, the one, the Twilight Zone that really got me was the one with the dummy. I'm like, there's not one <laughs> with the dummy. <laughs> the same dummy even. So, yeah. <laughs> but I guess I will go ahead and do the trivia that was being brought up. So Okay. Dun, 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 dun. That's the that's the opening trivia song. Also, me moving things on my good. laptop, my desktop. Uh, <laughs> original air date was May fourth, nineteen sixty two. The script is a Serling. Abner Bieberman directed. This is his first time in the zone, but he will be back for three more episodes. 
Cliff Robertson returns to the zone, this time as Jerry Etherson. You could throw out his roles in PT-109 or Charlie for fun, but he'll always be Peter Parker's soon-to-be-dead Uncle Ben to me. <laughs> Same. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's agent was played by Frank Sutton. While he found many a guest spot on 1960s television, he made his biggest mark as Gunnery Sergeant Vince Carter on Gomer Pyle USMC. Holy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing more of a goofy there. That's because I just did a goofy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't actually know what Gomer Pyle's voice is because I don't think I've seen Gomer Pyle since the 80s. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, Jim Neighbors. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, when I do a little exaggerated version of his. I stand up on Goofy. That's the problem. Yeah. Bizarro Jerry was played by George Murdoch, or is that Bizarro Eddie? I don't know. Anyway, I find I feel fine sticking to his Trekkie centered credits. He was God in Star Trek V and Admiral Hansen in Next Generation's The Best of Both Worlds. But that's great if you have God in your IMDb credits, you know? Uh, it's like you <laughs> and Morgan Freeman. Who else? Um, Orson Welles, if it's a space god, it's a planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a good list to be on. It's not a long list. I guess. Idris Elba, maybe. I mean, Heimdall's like a minor god, you know, if you need an on screen. Oh, no, if we're going to get into Greek gods and <laughs> yeah, that list gets a lot Norse, longer. Norse, Norse, Norse. We're going Norse there. Yeah, but we're talking, okay, got big, big dude in the sky god. Okay. Uh, this is straight from Wiki. Uh, you said I had, well, you said I had to do a trivia after I already copied it straight from Wiki, but I also got lazy last night. So this is just, okay. I, I, this is not me speaking. The dummy used in this episode to portray Willie was originally created in the 1940s by puppet maker Ravello Pite. Pite, I don't know, so that. Um, the same dummy was used later in the 1964 Twilight Zone episode Caesar and Me. The actual original dummy, which was used in both episodes, had been housed in a private collection in Connecticut since the late 1970s, but now revi revives now resides in David Copperfield's International Museum and Library of the Conjuring Arts in Las Vegas. I guess that's along with the Blue 42, and along <laughs> with the Cliff Robertson dummy effigy, which appears at the end of this episode. Oh, God. But, it just... <laughs> they're together forever. Uh, both puppets were subject to a careful preservative renovation by American artist and puppet restoration expert Alan Seamock, who probably had nightmares for like five years after that. <laughs> They're still that there. or he was that or he was already supernatural did, did you did you catch the blue 42 for reference by the way oh yeah okay okay oh, yeah. If, if anyone doesn't know about david copperfield's vegas show at least have someone tell you about it at some point yeah <laughs> um yeah. that would the, be a tangent if we got on, went off on blue 42 yeah the the other one that kind of got me here was um i kept thinking of my recent discovery of of, of uh, robert the dummy do you know robert yes yeah he's in florida is it yes and and you have to ask for you have to ask him for permission to take a picture or what, what happens if you don't yeah. eat your skull off yeah I, my friend recently just became very obsessed with robert the dummy okay so if this episode isn't giving you enough nightmares go visit robert and take a picture of him without asking and see what happens or, or don't <laughs> there's always don't yeah, yeah you can always not do the thing that sounds like it's going to start a, a trauma film <laughs> yeah, or something like that yeah it's just 
sometimes in life you do things and you go like, I've seen way too many movies that begin like this. I'm just going to not. Time to tap out early. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, go with your instincts. I have given you something to read. All right. It's winter time and getting dry teeth is very easy. I can barely. And we're there. You ready? Go for it. You're watching a ventriloquist named Jerry Anderson, a voice thrower par excellence. His alter ego sitting atop his lap is a brash stick of kindling with the sulfuric will. In a moment, Mr. Anderson and his naughty pine partner we booked in one of the out-of-the-way bistros, small, dark, intimate place known as the Twilight Day. You paused because you weren't sure if you said sober yet right. Is that correct? Hmm. Okay. I, I caught a quick pause because I was impressed you said it. And I thought he got it, but then you paused. And I was like, oh, maybe he's thinking about it. No. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I was impressed with myself because I didn't read this previously. I was like, oh, there's a little moment of, I think that's right. <laughs> When I was writing my notes, I was impressed with myself that I could spell ventriloquist without looking it up and ventriloquism without looking it up. So actually, well, you know, if, if you just commit to the word, it's not too hard to spell. It's got no. B's and Q's, so that kind of throws you off. But yeah, it spells like it sounds, so that's nice. Uh, didn't get that off the screen. And we will get into this one. I, you know, one I was thinking is early 60s nightclub entertainment really this crappy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they needed yeah. Lenny Bruce, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, you, you watch the episode, and it's you know this guy who, and I should mention by the way, I did drop the names of a few movies, but one of the best did a great riff on this was the HBO Tales from the Crypt episode of Don Rickles and his ventriloquist dummy that he used, but it's more of a puppet than a dummy, I think. But uh, that's where he chainsaws his hand off <laughs> to get away from it. <laughs> Which is pretty rad, uh, or he's, I think no, it's more of like a a hacksaw or a hatchet. I but, believe but, he reprised um, that that bit in Toy Story three, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, because Toy Story three is already. I mean, why not? You've already gone to hell or whatever happens in Toy Story three. <laughs> so, um, the idea is that this ventriloquist is an alcoholic, and he's pretty much uh, he's he's playing like the lower rungs. At this point, his career is a dismal failure. And at first we think it's just because he's a, he's a drunk. But what we find out is he drinks because he can't get the voice of his dummy Willie out of his head. <laughs> and yeah. so the unreliable narrator uh, deal in this episode where is he hearing Willie's voice in his head because he's drunk? Or is he hearing Willie's voice in his head because Willie is the demon? Do you want to stay unreliable to the final twist shot? Is that did that happen? Is that because he goes to a new town and we've we've had a little flip flop? Well, I mean, we don't want to skip to the to who goes to the Twilight Zone thing. So maybe I'll save my feelings on that ending for then. I, I do want to ask, though, uh, about the twist quality, because in mm -hmm. this case, I've, I've recently said some of the twists were a little dumb, and this one's extremely dumb, but also extremely effective. <laughs> well, the idea is this. Um, ventriloquist dummies are unnerving. Um, I can't 
imagine going to see one and thinking it was anything but super creepy. Uh, and so the one, the design on the one in this is just, there are times when in some of these other films that involve dummies where the dummy will appear sort of innocuous at the beginning. And as time goes on, they'll change the design a little bit where he will become monstrous and scary. This dummy is just nightmarish right from the jump. Do you agree? Oh yeah. Uh, goofy goggles is noticeably less, you know, unnerving. And uh, actually I, I brought up the wrong toy story. I finally got around to four where they have the, uh, what is that guy? Have you seen four? Oh yeah. The yeah. There's shop, a lot uh, of what is that guy's name? All of them have the same name. Yeah, Benson. they're they're, they're like, all Benson, which seems yeah. weird, but no, that's that's a it's a it's wonderful. I, Toy Story Four is my favorite for that reason. Benson um, is yeah, he appears based on um, the Willy Talk doll, which I actually had one when I was a kid. It was a ventriloquist dummy that was available in toy stores. Right, right. And it's called a figure, not a toy, or not a dummy. It's called a figure. A figure it wouldn't be a doll, okay? Yeah, it's not a doll. It's a yeah, figure. You, you get into the world of toy collecting, you can like offend some people with you know what's what might be close to nothing. <laughs> no, it's just you know just breathe next to him. It's not but a like, figure; it's an action figure. He has a moving arm. <laughs> He's got a button. <laughs> well, they try to like legitimize it as some uh, creative instrument. Where yeah, really, it's just like. I'm sorry, it's closer to like something you'd have sex with than something that would be like a paintbrush, you know? That's a okay, I'm gonna have to work out that metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I haven't slept a lot recently because I was <laughs> in my book and all that. But I've had uh, a few times uh, teaching, especially in the afternoon, maybe the student doesn't respond very quickly because their English isn't very good. And I've occasionally found myself like, doing just like a micronop and then saying like some bizarre non sequitur, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I'm you're like somewhere between... in the cart. <laughs> Brain and mouth, something just got a little screwed up. But no, I, I find ventriloquist dummies terrifying. Um, anything, though, that's supposed to resemble like a little human, uh, there's that uncanny valley thing going on. But with the dummy, it's more of just like, the idea of it coming alive and they pull the the head spin around gag really early in this episode. You know, like normally that's when you'll save for a moment later where it's like, where you going, Billy? But this one does. Soup. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. This one does it really early or he's just seeing the head, you know, go all the way around and you're like, well, where else are we going to go? That's a big one. That's a, freaky moment well the funny thing is uh this starts off with kind of a gimmick it ends with the kind of a, a gimmicky but but good twist but you yeah. know it's like they get out of the way because well they actually have a decent script and a decent actor to do some stuff here it's not you know it's not all just toy time in this episode <laughs> there's some actual yeah. things going on yeah and you know the guy's trying to get away from this doll willie because willie is ruining his life um, the boss is his agent or whoever the booking folks are mad at him because uh, he won't change his act and he keeps doing the same thing. And instead of going out to the crowd after the shows and using the dummy to kind of like meet people and stuff and just do things that an act would do, um, he stays 
in this uh, dressing room, which is humongous, and he doesn't share with anyone. That, I think, was the most far-fetched thing in this episode. He's a star. Not yeah. quite. Not quite. No. You, you kind of get the feeling that the whole room, a whole room sitting around in a nightclub watching a guy with a ventriloquist dummy just doesn't seem like... I'd it worry still about felt people. a lot like the arc of like a you know the tale of a 90s or early 2000s you know on the road comedian which i feel like that story yeah. doesn't hold so much water now uh but definitely at that time it did so would this work without yeah. the dummy i mean i guess it would be like less um creepy fun but well you could have a voice in his head that's you know giving him uh politically incorrect jokes and they'd just be like go you can't make you can't say those things anymore it's not me it's the dice man <laughs> oh right right that, yeah see i guess you could do that but it, it, it is nice to have like a visual anchor um oh thinking, absolutely you know we will get to the peel show but there i think might be the first episode of the peel show where the guy is what is it if he makes a joke about someone everyone laughs uproariously but then that person like you know disappears from existence is that the the plot yeah. so that that seems kind of a little bit like the modern iteration of this because the idea that well, people no, this... even want to go see a ventriloquist act now seems like kind of hard to swallow <laughs> no there's been too many um the, the ventriloquist dummy is in popular culture more often used uh in in horror situations you know i mean there's slappy from goosebumps is uh more like i think benson was maybe a, a, a little bit of a nod to slappy because he is uh now like multiple generations in with uh just being something that's like i don't know more associated with uh high creepiness you know uh in goosebumps part two slappy kidnaps managed to abduct the mother of one of the kids in the movie and transforms her momentarily into a ventriloquist, human ventriloquist dummy. And I remember, like, my kid liked the goosebumps, and so we went to see part two. And at that point, when the mom's mouth becomes a ventriloquist dummy mouth, I turned to her and I'm like, isn't this scary? Aren't you scared? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, do you want to leave? <laughs> and she's like, no. <laughs> but meanwhile, well, I was I like, just I just soiled myself. Do. I need to leave. <laughs> Yeah, I really don't like this. <laughs> so I'm using this in the pop culture sense of the word, not socially, but um, what is more canceled in pop culture now, uh, clowns or ventriloquist dummies? <laughs> oh, my God. No, like, it's definitely. What are you going to have at your kid's birthday party? I mean, or, or not have, I guess. <laughs> no, no one's going to have a ventriloquist. Uh, you know, clowns are between it and the Terrifier movies. Clowns are like agreed upon as horrifying. But for some reason, the ventriloquist dummy is just, I think it's, it's, it's a time honored, creepy thing. I guess that's the best way I can come up with saying like, you know, clowns, some people would be like, oh, it's a happy, funny clown. It's fine. Um, but dummies have been like freaky for a very long time. We you know Twilight Zone, but you gotta, you gotta figure that um any kid that had a ventriloquist dummy back in the 60s saw this episode and the bastard went in the garbage <laughs> I, I forget what it was um it might have been the ben stiller show or dana carvey show one of the 90s shows i think um 
it was a Mr. Show. It's one anyway. I'm forgetting which sketch comedy show did it, but they had this thing that was kind of like uh, based on a behind. It looked like a behind the music of like you know like uh, East West Coast rap battles, but it was done all with a uh, ventriloquist, ventriloquists and their dummies. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> which that that was pretty good. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I I saw on TV as a kid um, Willie Tyler and Lester, and Willie Tyler and Lester were the Willie Tyler was the black uh, ventriloquist, so and his doll um, Lester was also black, and so that was the popular ventriloquist act when I was a kid. And um, I can't tell you one joke that they had or one bit that they had, but um, just the idea of a black guy doing that—that uh, that just seems like. I don't know. That seems like an anomaly. There's not going to be another Willie Tyler. And I would, I would like to know how many, if at all, um, black ventriloquists there are out in the world now. There's, there, there was one. Uh, we know that. Yeah. The jokes though, it was funny. Cause I mean, maybe we're watching it now and thinking what people like this in the early sixties. I mean, probably cause they, you, once you have four martinis, I guess it's funnier, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the best slash worst place for ventriloquists to work. <laughs> I was thinking though that um, you know, in Japan they have a bunch of like New Year shows, and especially the day or two after New Year, they'll have these comedy things. And I was like, eh, the comedy is pretty much as bad. Like it's like an eight-hour comedy show, and it's um, acts come out for like three minutes. And it's always two guys, and they start talking normally, and by the end of the act, they're screaming at each other in crazy voices, and then they leave the stage, and then two different, completely different guys come up and start doing the same thing. And this goes on for like eight hours. Oh my god! <laughs> eight hours. Yeah, so it's like everyone has the same act. <laughs> I mean, oh they're saying different god. stuff, of course, but you know, since my Japanese isn't great, to me, it's just like. It's the same act over and over and over again <laughs> with different people doing it. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's what I like. I, I wonder how long I would last, like how much of it I could sit through, because I'm pretty like my heart is pretty big when it comes to uh, what would be maybe considered performance art, but definitely with, uh, you know, like just some of them you got to figure might want to be forcibly removed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that, That's it's the that, whole reason they're doing it. It's, it's like sometimes running, running the bit into the ground is the funniest thing, right? So, Oh, sure. Yeah, movies do it all the time. And, right. well, uh, I'll put you a movie too. idea right now that I just had of running the bit into the ground. You, you have a cold open, and it gets very dramatic, and then crash to title screen, you know, CGI title screen like in a Marvel movie, and it goes yeah. on to a next scene, and that builds up to something dramatic. Crash to CGI title screen, now it's a different title, and this just goes on for every scene of the movie. <laughs> oh my god! That would be great! No, I would like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that was my recent idea for running bits into the ground, which is probably funnier than this act. I don't know. Uh, I mean, this... The the whole idea is that um, he cannot control. He's no longer the one making the jokes. This is completely um, Willie's show, and so he's he's kind of berating him. When I I watched this one, uh, this is one of the ones I watched on here on New Year's because I always I, now I do like I'm pretty much like a like a DJ for Twilight Zone for the New Year's Day marathon. DJ I'm just Twilight like. Zone. 
Yeah, I'm I'm going through and just picking my favorite episodes. And so, you know, while one is on, I've got the next one queued up and things like that. Just just kind of bouncing around. And I, I knew that we were going to be talking about the dummy. So I went ahead and, and watched it. And I seemed to remember, and maybe I'm confusing it with the Don Rickles episode of um, Tales from the Crypt. But I seem to remember the, the dummy um, being really mean to the audience. That might be the other one as well, because he, he is yeah, because I don't remember that happening. Here. Cliff Robertson, I don't believe returns again, but the dummy does, as we mentioned. <laughs> and and I yeah. should mention Cliff Robertson doing the act is phenomenal. Like you know, as far as do, acting do, is concerned, like you like yeah. watching this guy like halfway crashing and burning on stage. Like I mean, the audience seems to like him because they've all had their four martinis. Um, he's not funny, yeah. but it's kind of the point. <laughs> and mentally, he's coming unhinged. And of course, you know, no one, he tries to tell people point blank, dummies alive. It's, it's, it's totally alive and no one believes him. And why would you? Because that's absurd and he's a drunk, but still the way he says it, it's like, even though he's technically a comedian, he's totally not kidding. Like, he's like, this thing is ruining my life. And, you know. and the show itself has very smart writing because at one point I'm like, well, gee, why doesn't he just, you know, go after one of the dancing girls? They all seem to like him, which he immediately does and then like causes a Me Too moment, you know? Oh my God. He all but assaults this poor lady that comes out because they're like, you know, he's standing on the street holding his dummy. <laughs> like, dude, should we put it away? You know? And they walk up to him and, and they're just like, good night. And he's like, good night. And then the the one dancer that um, I mean seems kind of maybe interested in him, despite the fact that he's holding the dummy after the show is over. She's uh she's leaving, and and he was he's just like all in her face and corners her. She goes from like hi to uh, you're a little too close to me to like oh god I might not survive this. I, all, all to the most proliferate amount of. Uh dutch angles i've ever seen <laughs> that's when okay so that is something about this episode that there is a moment when we are just like and i don't know if it's the moment where the unreliable narrator thing like really kicks into high gear to where we're like okay right now we don't know if this is real or not the uh, immediately all the cinematography switches to the dutch angle and it's like sweeps and pans and stuff like that. It's like now you're in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I thought, I mean, from a filmmaking aspect, you're a little bit like, eh, it might be a few too many Dutch angles, but it does completely change. It suddenly starts feeling like German expressionism, even though they're just on like basic sets. Well, they, they want to enhance that feeling because everything in this movie takes place at the club and the and mostly in the backstage areas and stuff so anything you can do visually to uh portray uh suspense i guess um particularly when you're dealing with a non-human antagonist right right and and then capping that whole section off with the uh most unhinged laugh from that non-human protagonist you've heard pretty <laughs> much i don't know i've, I've that's got to be in, a, in the top 10 unhinged laughs I've heard in media. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, no, it's horrifying. And um, 
Do we know if the actor did the voice of the the dummy and the laughing too, or was that someone else? Um, I can double check, but I think he does the the voice for both. Hold on, I'll if you okay. want to elaborate. I mean, that would be so much fun as an actor to do. I'm just wondering because it's uh, it is very different from his regular speaking voice, and definitely very different from the character that he plays. Yeah, but um, I was I was watching some of the Maestro last night, and I was like, I I can't really quite figure out how he goes from this to Rocket Raccoon, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's a that's a whole other mode that you have to enter. I think it's uh that's why they make the big bucks. That's right. Well, that's part of the nice thing about the Guardians thing, though, is that he you know is actually voice acting. <laughs> yeah, typically yeah. actors are not voice acting when they. But but every them. time. I imagine someone doing something like this. Um, there's very little footage available to the public of Brad Dorif doing the voice of Chucky from the Child's Play movies. Mm. Very little of that. And I don't know if that's just a stipulation that he has where he doesn't want to be filmed. But there's very little like behind-the-scenes stuff showing Dorif at the mic as Chucky that I've seen as a fan. And so, um, But I love the idea of, uh, of just an actor going completely ape going completely ham on the mic to do these uh, scary characters um famously um the woman who did the voice for um linda blair as reagan in the exorcist when she's got the demon voice um she was a, a stage actor and she was kind of in the autumn of her years and she uh asked to be tied to a chair when doing the demon voice, and I think maybe got drunk too. Sounds like the the Jesus built my hot rod thing, where they got the butthole surfers singer in uh, and had to hold him up to do the uh, vocal. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you can. It sounds like it. Uh, by the way, just uh, yes, Cliff Robertson is pulling a Mike Myers and is playing the the triple roles of Jerry Etherson, the voice of Willie, and the voice of Goofy Goggles. Oh my God! Hope he got an award. That's wonderful. Yeah, were the Emmys kicking at this time? I mean, he didn't get a reward for it, but reward, award. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess sometimes it's hard to appreciate like such a small scale performance, e even when it is that good. I mean, the Twilight Zone is one of the better places to get that, but. Yeah, and you would think actors would want that sort of thing where they can just really let loose in that form because, it, you know, it's uh, a little bit more restrictive than radio. Anyway, they way. gave him an Oscar a few years later, so hopefully that's enough. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I just want to thank Willie. The Academy <laughs> and Willie. <laughs> Wait, no, I just give a speech in the voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring him up on stage, you know, or like Brando. <laughs> he, he Now accepting the Oscar will be Willie. <laughs> that's right, because I, I still, when I was doing the trivia, like, the end is so effective. I still was like, oh, I have to give the credit for the bizarro um willie or bizarro jerry or whatever that is at the end you know because he's so like other than just the puppet looking disturbing he looks really disturbing too it's it's like it's like um you know a rip taylor doing crocodile or something that's what it kind of comes across <laughs> like <laughs> yeah no that's such a good well so there you know his his life is continuing to spiral out of control willie um creates a situation where um, finally he's driven to the edge to do what he should have done uh, several minutes earlier, which is to 
um, go where he has tried to lock away Willie, pick him up out of it, and just smash the crap out of him, destroy the doll. But the scene, how did you feel about the way that they shot this scene? Because they can't give away that it's actually not Willie that he's grabbing, but the other dummy that he has complete control over, Goggles. Or goofy goggles. Goofy goggles, yeah. Because my note but, is not goofy goggles. Yeah, well, he runs into this room where he's got this trunk that he's locked Willie into, and uh, the room is completely dark, so you don't see who he's grabbed. Did you like the way they did that, or were you just like, okay, I don't know what's happening? Um, well, I was guessing what was happening, so yeah, uh, I was just like, oh, I guess that's that's not Willie in there, so. <laughs> Yeah, so the lights go on, and you see that he's smashed apart the wrong doll, and Willie's just chilling on the couch like, sucka! I mean, he should have turned the lights on before smashing. Would have been smart. Um, but he was quite, you know, he finished his bottle of whiskey by that point, so. Yeah, but that's that's what I mean, though. It's like the whole time after, at a certain point in this, you're like, I don't know if any of this is happening, or if he's just imagining it. And I don't know if that was the intention with Serling or not, but um, the scene that you're talking about, the the twist, um, you, he's back on stage and we're over his shoulder and we got this great shot where you don't see the dummy or his face. When he turns to the camera, he's, his face is transformed into the dummy's face and the dummy's face is transformed into his how well, well do you feel like they pulled off the dummy with human face? Oh, okay. So I went the dummy with the human face with the Cliff Robertson face. That's again, that's you know, that's a apex of nightmare fuel, I think. But so is <laughs> yeah. so is the other guy. I just I, I assumed actually that um I went with the um Jerry transformed into a wooden dummy where the, the dummy became a real boy Pinocchio's evil Pinocchio style. Ah, okay. That was where I, I went I mean, God, yours makes sense too, but I'm like, Jerry's no longer doing the act. He, he is the dummy now, I think is where we're going with it. So, yeah. well, I, that is leading us to our questions. Uh, so I guess we'll do it. Like who went into the twilight zone? I mean, Jerry, <laughs> do we want to go further than that? Well, we, I don't think we need to because Serling's ending narration pretty much says that now they're doing their act in the twilight zone. Right. How about the audience? Is that is the audience like citizens of the Twilight Zone when they went to Kansas City? Is Kansas City the Twilight Zone? <laughs> Kansas City gonna be that Twilight Zone. Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been to Kansas City. Home. I don't know. Yeah, you know, you're. <laughs> you just imagine Slim Pickens saying it, <laughs> blazing saddles. Y'all sound like a bunch of Kansas City dummies. <laughs> well, I guess it would make it more politically correct. <laughs> no, it would. Yeah, we'll stop there, I guess. But, like, um, yeah, this is an easy one because Serling at the end says that now, basically uh, something along the lines of now Jerry's doing this ventriloquist act in the Twilight Zone. So he, he fully went. Uh, I guess the only discussion point might be, like, you know, how soon did he go? Was he in it the whole time? Well, if this episode, I guess you could say, was mostly in it the whole time. Although I, my last note is actually it looks like they are now more in the Uncanny Valley than the Twilight Zone. But that, that was snark. 
Yeah, see that um, the movie Magic with Anthony Hopkins, the doll that Hopkins uses looks a lot like him. And uh, that's unnerving as hell. I haven't seen that one. What year is that from? I'm just trying to figure out what vintage Hopkins we're talking about. 77 or 8, I want to say. Oh, so we're talking a young Hopkins who's still Oh, uh, yeah. Very, yeah, a lot younger Hopkins. No. So, um, he's one of those guys he that never looks young, I think. No, he he didn't really um, become famous until Hannibal Lecter when he was already kind of older. But uh, Magic is a very scary movie. It Speaking could be as well, it could have been like eighty, but I want to say it was seventy something. I was just like trying to figure out if we were talking about truly old man Hopkins or uh, no or not. Uh-uh. No, no, we're young, not okay. young Hopkins. Well, does Jerry deserve his trip into the Twilight Zone? Oh my gosh! Did Jerry get turned into a wooden doll? Where, where are you sitting on that? You're you're saying no that the faces switch. I th- I think that that the doll and now inhabits Jerry's body and vice versa. Okay, that that's where I was. I, you could go that way too. Sure. Yeah. We we don't that's see the I... Snow White you know evil queen transformation scene here, so we just get the other <laughs> laughing, which as we said is also effective. So. Yeah, no, it's great. And what's wonderful about the whole chase period of, of the episode where you hear a lot of that laughing is it happens so abruptly, um, like where we transition from that stuff to this, uh, not, I wouldn't call it a snap ending, but it's fairly close to it because there's not a whole lot of time period after that. People have heard that laugh enough to where it really has a punch when he turns around and starts that laugh. Yeah, that scene it didn't need to be any longer than it was. So, <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And it was great that they went ahead and had it play there, you know. But I love the way that that's shot. That's my my when I think of this episode, I think of that the way that the camera is on him to where you don't yet know, and they just have the actor turn and reveal the makeup. It's I can imagine it freaked a lot of kids out that watched it, and adults too. It's just a freaky. It's I a great people shot. refer to this as the scariest episode. Do I agree with that? Not, not really. But I can see where that could be a take. Yeah, because like we said at the top, the ventriloquist dummies are already frightening. They're already scary. The idea of someone turning into one or being possessed by one or controlled by one. You're just adding layers to the already scary thing, you know? So in the the second half of season three, I, I've been maybe sounding like a broken record being like, gee, Serling see, does seem a little burnt out at the end of season three. This episode mm-hmm. is, is very solid. I'm wondering if you think it's a better script or if it's just so well directed that that helps it, that you know, right, brings it up. And a yeah. Great performer, a great actor, too, helps, so. I think it's that I think it's that um that whole recipe. It's just the Twilight Zone is the, the great episodes are always the sum of their parts. It's not just the great script. You've also got to have that combination of the performance and direction. I think that um given the low budget of the show, um they just managed to uh create something really effective. By season three, Serling knows what they can do and what they can't. And so this whole thing was made um, because of the limitations 
uh, actually so, so much better. Uh, by this is this is episode thirty something, isn't it? Yeah, like it's we way about four more after this in the season. It's very close to the end. Yeah, so at this point, they they know what they can do, and so I just yeah, I really think it's a combination of all those things that you mentioned that makes it so great. Um, some of those other ones just seem like overall a little bit unenthusiastic or treading water, you know, but this one was just, uh, I don't know. I love personally, um, what they call, they call bottle horror, which is a horror story that takes place in one setting with minimal characters. And I, I think this is a little bit like that. And it's wonderful because you're talking about a character who's, um, trapped inside their own mind. And uh, the whole episode seems like really confining. And then he ends up inside of a doll. Nah. It's just like it gets smaller and smaller until it ends. So does he deserve it? Does he deserve to become his dummy's dummy? Uh, well, we're talking about the justice system of the show. He Did he do anything to deserve it? It I seems don't like think... he just bought the wrong dummy or built the wrong dummy. Yeah, this is just like a sucks to be you kind of story. <laughs> that might be the case, really. So, yeah, yeah, just you know, bad things sometimes happen because I don't think like we don't want to judge him for being an alcoholic because that's obviously a disease. And, and the so, dummy seemed to drive him to it, which maybe is no, a bad exactly. excuse, but no, no, he because because you know his manager. Or the booking guy, I can't remember what she is. He's a manager because he's talking about percentages. He's I, just I like wrote Jerry's agent in my notes, so maybe yeah, that's, that's right. it. He he's like, look, man, um, you're talented enough that you could have been way more famous than you are, but it just didn't happen. You could have been on Johnny Carson. Well, I, I guess he, it would still be uh, um, what's his name at this point, um, or Steve Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. Steve Allen time oh. or Ed Sullivan. Well, that's kind of the idea. You know, the comedians always talk about the peak of fame as a comic is getting on to late night and becoming a regular on late night because the audience is huge, way more people than in any nightclub or tour you can go on. And so the fact that he was like, no, I'm staying right here. God, you can sit there and think about, well, maybe this is for the good of the world that he's <laughs> that he's not more ambitious. But um, Willie doesn't seem to have any ambition other than to torture him. Well, and apparently to become a real boy, which I yeah. guess so it's, it's, it's a bit like the, uh, it's like if, if, you know, Pinocchio wanted to capture Beto and, and take over his body. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be one thing if the Dick Tracy movie had already been out. And he was like, I want to look just like William Forsythe's character. <laughs> Flat top. I mean, I don't even know how to describe the way that Willie looks. He just, he looks like Joe Franklin. Google <laughs> Joe Franklin. <laughs> okay, I guess I could do that. Uh, while I'm doing that, um, you, let's tripometer it. Oh, gosh. Zero mm. trippy. Five very trippy. Yeah. I gotta say, once the Dutch angles hit, and the fact that there's the unreliable narrator, I think puts it on the other side of, uh, so not not a four, but maybe a three and a half. Okay, I, I'm willing, just for how unhinged the laugh is and how disturbing the final shot is, I I, I will go with the four on this. Okay, 
Yeah. Okay. It's it's yeah. higher up trippy trippy lane. Uh, it does That's... have like kind of a kind of a actual drama built into it a little bit, which is very good, but keeps it from being just like completely you know off the psychedelic rails or whatever. It does bump it up to four. You're right with that uh, final shot. Because that's just got to be one of the most memorable. If someone was doing a montage of it just freaky images from Twilight Zone, that slow turn is definitely going to be one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to throw out a final thought on this one? I, I think your clock is running down, so I want to make sure you have time. Yeah, yeah. No, I just... Um, this is one of the ones that if someone is like what is the twilight zone? I want to see some of them. This would be one of like 10 that I would play. Yeah, it's definitely a good, like sort of introductory episode. If you are looking for one to, uh, spook somebody with. (laughs) Yeah. And if like someone was doing like a Halloween marathon of twilight zone, because twilight zone, as we know, is not all, uh, like kind of horror or even supernatural or even, I mean, it's, it's light fantasy most of the time um this would be one of the ones you'd want to run if it was yeah like a, a like a, a halloween time uh, twilight zone marathon yeah i guess it's kind of the blend that keeps the twilight zone even today like in the you know on the cultural radar so yeah no, absolutely is much more just sci-fi alien monsters even night gallery pushes the mix a little bit more to the supernatural horror so it's not quite in the spot this show is you know uh, Twilight Zone is foundational. The more Twilight Zone you've seen, the more you will be able to predict things that happen in, in cinema for like the decades going until you know through today. You know, there's from uh, "Don't Worry, Darling" um, all the way through, just like some of the more recent uh, horror and fantasy. They all owe Twilight Zone. That's their great granddaddy. Well, let's shut this one down for now. Uh, your your book is just plopping onto the shelves. Yeah, by the time this airs, it will be available on Amazon. It's called Everybody's E V E R Y B O D I E S, and uh, yeah, it's it's interviews, it's nonfiction, and there's photography in there as well. Radio, uh, so check that out. As for us, we are. On Patreon, up Podcastio Podcastius, and Time Enough Podcast is on most of the socials. If you're looking for us, we do other podcasts like Films and Filth, The Sisticate Podcasting, Podcast 1999, Luke Loves Pokemon, Hyrule Field Report, Game Game Show. I think I got through it. Okay, I would. I, mean, I want to learn to do it like the Micro Machine guy, right? <laughs> it doesn't say Micro Machine. It's not the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get the whole plug in like ten seconds. That would be pretty hip. I'm, I'm working on it. God, how how much would it suck to work at a drive-thru when that guy comes over with an order, you know? Mm. Well, I, I am going to go stick my, my hand up a puppet's butt today, but I will skip the ventriloquist part because they're kids and they don't care if they see my mouth moving. And I can't do Cookie Monster while keeping my mouth closed. <laughs> that, just, that sounds like the Cookie Monster dying. He's <laughs> dying because he finally chokes.
silence of Paris Street Grand priestesses of Ishtar At the age of Babylon Are dreaming of forgotten stars At the age of Babylon I'm dreaming of forgotten stars I'm dreaming of forgotten stars Walking the paths of ancients In seas of tranquility nascent Will illusions by clarity So long lost between the moss at the age of Babylon Achieving of forgotten stars With passions of the lions Lizards bask on the dust of iron Arms of empires cast a sea Plumstairs Up above the stony graves At the age of Babylon I'm dreaming of forgotten stars At the age of Babylon I'm dreaming of forgotten stars I'm dreaming of forgotten stars In passion of the lion Wizards bask on the dust of iron